Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, there's a line in that song that says, your love changes everything. Sometimes it's true that even though God lo God's love does change everything, we enter seasons of life where the only thing that seems to be changing is our health, which is rapidly declining. Today we're going to continue our the Space Between series, exploring an idea that is simply, how do we navigate the space between being sick and being made well? I've entitled this message, Know the Knows. Yesterday morning, Vipka and I spent some time at Myers. Um, some of you would have seen this there. That seems to be the place we meet a lot of you central folk. And uh, as we get to the checkout, uh, Jaden, our son, comes and he brings some chewing gum. Well, uh, that's kind of a custom. Hey, if you help us out here, buddy, don't kind of work against us in the supermarket. We've all been there, right? A number of little kids around, and they seem to act up right at the checkout. So our little play with this is, hey, bud, help us out here, and you can have some chewing gum. Well, he brings some chewing gum. We never said anything. We kind of expect him to be good these days. Got to that great stage where he brings the chewing gum. We're like, yeah, okay, but what do we do? We pick the chewing gum up, and we have a look for certain words on there. Words like no added sugar. Sugar and Jaden don't go together that well. Some of you go shopping, you pick something up, and you'll, you look for whether it says no added colors or artificial colors, no added flavors, no artificial preservatives. The idea is that when something on packaging tells us no, it's actually a good thing. Now, I realize if you're a child, hearing no doesn't seem like a good thing, but the idea here is that when you get to be a responsible adult, reading that something isn't in something is actually a really good thing. Another way that that's done is, you know, sugar-free, right? You know, uh, all that kind of thing, zero calories. Well, the text that we're going to look at today is Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out on a mission for which and from which there is no return. Now, if you need a copy of the scriptures, all you need to do is to raise your hands in the air and our ushers would be delighted to loan you a copy and then you can turn to page 974 and then you'll be able to follow along with the passage as we go through. Now, this is a mission from which there is no return. And what's interesting is when Jesus begins to describe this mission, he uses the, the kind of know, the knows, as this kind of foundation. Hey guys, if you learn four simple knows, you will realize what I'm all about. And what I really believe is for a person navigating the space between being sick and being made well, knowing the knows that are laid out in Matthew chapter 10 is a really helpful tool, a really helpful foundation for us to navigate our way between being sick and being made whole. So there are four no's in here, that is an N-O, that I believe to be really helpful for anyone navigating the space between sickness and being made whole. And let me just say this, as you go through the message, we'll realize that all of us are. Every single one of us are navigating the space between something that is broken and something that needs to be made whole. 
So there may well be people in here who are physically sick, and this is where we usually go with this. But what we'll discover through this message is God is in the business of making broken people whole. And he wants all of us to be able to successfully navigate our way through our brokenness to that point where we will one day be made whole. Now, it begins in verse 1. If you have a look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, it begins with this idea of, listen, we worship and we serve a God who has and knows no limits. No limits. When we are navigating our way between sickness and healing, we need to recognize that we worship a God for whom nothing is impossible. We worship a God who is able to do abundantly more than we ask, think, or even, if we don't get the point, Paul says, imagine. This is the point of verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal, what's that word? Every. And by the way, every does mean every. All here means all. Every disease and every sickness. We worship a God who knows no limits. One of the things that we need to hold on to when we are in the, in the throes of facing our brokenness is recognizing God can do abundantly more than I think in this situation. For God, there are no limits. Now, here's where it often gets interesting. When we talk about sickness or brokenness in this context, a lot of us go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, and other passages, and we think physical healing. And there is a real danger here between facing our sickness for what it is, knowing that God can heal us, and then trying to navigate our way through asking and finding out, discovering how much of the future wholeness should be our experience today. Whenever we talk about sickness, we think about physical sickness. But in the Bible, there are seven ways in which people are sick. Physical is just one of them. There are seven dimensions to brokenness. I could put hundreds more scriptures on here. So when the Bible talks about brokenness or sickness or a lack of wholeness, it's talking about spiritual, first of all. We're going to come around the table in a few moments, and, and we do so because we realize that through the death of Jesus on the cross, our spiritual sickness, our spiritual brokenness has been made whole. Then there is physical. There is emotional how many of us right now are dealing with emotional brokenness? There's a lot of talk, even in the business world, right, about emotionally healthy cultures. Then we have psychological. The mental health issues are huge. In, in a crowd like this, statistically speaking, there is a mass, there are a mass of people in here who are struggling with mental health issues. 
And invariably, our lack of attention to this in the church has made people who struggle with mental health issues feel like second-class Christians. All too often, they've been accused of having demons in the past and everything else. We've done this because we've not realized that there is a dimension, even in the Scriptures, to mental health issues. Then we have relational Relational brokenness, relational sickness. I wonder how many people are in here today and you are relationally broken. Your marriage is in trouble. Even in that situation, God is saying to you, guess what? Recognize that there are no limits to what I can do. You may have given up on your marriage, but I haven't. Then we have social. How many of you have been watching the news this weekend, the G20 summit? Where was it? In Hamburg. That's Vipker, my city. We were there for a long time. I'll tell you, what we've been seeing on the television screen is not Hamburg. Yesterday, tens of thousands of Hamburg residents walked through the street holding signs saying, this is not our city. This is not us. This world is socially dysfunctional. It is socially broken. What happened with the protests after Trump was elected, President Trump, is happening across the world. We are socially broken. Then we have environmental. I know that's a controversial subject right now with the only country not renewing the uh, agreement on the weekend is, uh, is the United States. But the Bible says the whole of creation is groaning as in childbirth. The Bible says in Revelation that there will be a what? A new heaven and a new earth. The world is sick. Now, look at all of this. What do you think the Bible says about how much of the future should be brought into the present and all of these things? See, with some of these things, environmental, some of these things, sociological, sociological we recognize that we're going to have to wait to the return of Jesus Christ for some of these things to be made fully whole. And so there's a sense in which all of us partake in the brokenness of this world, and there is a sense in which all of us are navigating our way between brokenness, sickness, and wholeness. We're all affected by this. And what God wants us to know is it doesn't matter what you face. I want you to know that there are no limits with me. There are no limits with me. But it's one thing, isn't it, to recognize that God is a God for whom nothing is impossible, and then wrestling with the fact that what God does for others, he doesn't do for me. Have any of you been there? You pray prayers similar to the prayers that other people have prayed. God has answered those prayers, but he hasn't answered yours. See, that's where the, the belief that God can do abundantly more and then the God who can do abundantly more in my experience collide. And that's the next thing in this is, listen, no room for unbelief here. In navigating our way between sickness and health, we need to hold on to the fact that God can do so much. He can do the impossible. While realizing that sometimes God doesn't do it for me. You may remember a message a number of uh, months ago that I did on John the Baptist who sent disciples to Jesus, saying, Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for someone else? Why did he do that? Because Jesus, in his manifesto in Luke chapter 4, had promised to set the prisoner free. Where was John? In prison. John the Baptist was the first of many worshipers 
in the New Testament era who recognized that what God does for other people, he sometimes doesn't do for me. And it caused even John himself, the one who through the Spirit of God looked at the Son of God coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when John's experience brought him into a prison, he wrestled with what God could do what God was doing for him. This issue of unbelief is a big deal in the ministry of Jesus, Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Can God do more if we believe more? I believe that's true. See, when people think about people's, uh, Jesus' ministry, what people think about Jesus' ministry impacts their experience of his power. That's the tension, isn't it? I know that God can, but God isn't. So what do I do? Recognizing that what I expect influences what I receive. A number of people make a big mistake on this in certain sections of the church because they believe that Jesus' miracles provoke faith in the unbelieving, but they never do that. Jesus' miracles never provoke faith in the unbelieving. What they do is they affirm the faith that is already there. You remember that Jesus did miracles, and what did the religious leaders say? It is by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that he does this. And Jesus says, do you really think that the devil would actually work against his own work? Come on. Makes sense, Jesus says. See, the whole, the whole point, in a sense, of the miracles of Jesus is not to provoke faith from the, um, from the people that don't have any. It's far more personal than that. There's another scripture, Mark chapter 6, and verses 5 and 6, and I'm giving you an overview here. He couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. See, we're all caught up in brokenness in one way or another. And we're holding, on the one hand, to a God who can do abundantly more than we ask, think, or even imagine. And yet we're wrestling with a God who sometimes does for other people what he doesn't do for us. And what Jesus wants us to know is that our lack of faith does impact on what we receive. Now, does that mean that we will get what we want when we want it? No. It just means to say that when we walk between sickness and healing, we need to recognize that this is the tension. And it's a real tension that impacts people in very real ways. One commentator, Gulick, says this, Jesus didn't come as a magician or a miracle worker to display and dazzle his audience. His words and his work were from God. Those who rejected this inherent claim in his ministry could not experience God's redemptive work on their behalf. Therefore, while faith does not represent the necessary cause for the effect of a miracle, miracles do not take place in the absence of faith. Do you see that? Miracles, miracles do not represent the necessary cause. In other words, faith is not a law that forces God's hand. God works according to God's sovereign will, which is often a mystery to us. But God doesn't work apart from faith. So that's the tension we live with. And in a few moments, I'm going to introduce you to someone who's had to walk that tension. 
Recognizing that God can do abundantly more than we ask, think, or even imagine, and yet realizing that God has not chosen to do it for them. It's tough. That's the real challenge. So there's no limits, and there's no room for unbelief. And anybody walking in that tension needs to recognize that there are no extras. No extras. In other words, what we need to do is focus on the essentials. If you're navigating that season of life and it's an intense pressure, focus on what is truly important. Matthew 10, 9 and 10, look at the text with me. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. What Jesus is saying here, guys, when I'm sending you out on this mission for which there is no return, what I want you to do is I don't want you to take so much care and attention to those things that you think you will need. Rather, I want you to let go of all of those because I want you to cultivate a relationship that is dependent on me and focused on what I want from you. When a person is navigating that season between sickness and being made well, one of the first things that is really important to do is to get the calendar to look at the life and think, what is no longer necessary in this season? Again, that's not an easy thing to do. But it's an important thing to do because in that season, what we need to do is focus on what is truly important and ask God to reveal that to us. Fourthly here, what we also need to do is to realize that there is no escapism. Not only do we need to focus on what's truly important, but we need to allow our faith to be a very real faith in a very real world that is facing a very real challenge in the season. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, this is one verse of many in this chapter, and Jesus says this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What is Jesus saying? He's being very real about the challenges that his disciples are about to face. Folks, faith that is real doesn't escape or run away from the real challenges that stand in front of us. Faith that is real acknowledges the challenges that are there for what they are and trusts God with them anyway. So anyone navigating this space between sickness and healing, and in a sense we all are because we're involved in a broken world, we need to hold on to those four truths. Listen, there are no limits for God. There is no room for unbelief. There is no room for anything extra. And there is no room for us to escape. Now, what I want you to do right now is I want you to uh, welcome, and uh, I hope she's been able to get there, Holly. Many of you will know uh, Holly. And uh, are you there, Holly? She's going to be there in a second, I hope. I hope she could get to Mike, could you just check that she could open that door for me? There she comes. She's good. Can you welcome Holly with me? And, of course, Barkley. And we preset the Matthew, so hopefully he, he knows his place. He's done this before. That always doesn't work. <laughs> Barkley. Lena. Lena. 
Just checking yeah. you all out. There's your friends. <laughs> Say hi. Now lay down. This was the most nervous part of the whole thing, believe me. No, actually, I didn't hear a word that you said. So uh, that's fine. You yeah, might have been preaching about it. You could have talked bad about me. No, I didn't. No oh, I didn't. Yeah. Idea. Yeah, but people don't realize the sound up here. You can't hear very well. I, I know it's weird. Barkley, apparently you can't hear either. <laughs> Lay down. Now. Let me, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. For those of you who've been around Central for some time, you'll know Holly. Holly was on staff here for two decades and uh, came here as a vibrant, energetic, still is very, very energetic, great sense of humor. Um, a young person, let me put it that way. Are you saying I'm old now? You're older. You've matured with grace. You're older than me, aren't you? I am. I am old, though. Yeah, I'm old. I keep myself young not by adopting that, kids. Not by far. No, no, not by far. Um, Holly said she was going to give me a hard time here, so uh, that's probably what she's going to do. And uh, then in your, and you can correct some of the details here, Holly, but in your 20s, uh, Frederick's attacks here, nervous. Uh, nervous um, yeah, before that, major illness. Major illness. Yeah. Just give us a brief history. Major illness, probably 18, 19, I lived in Singapore. Came home super, super sick. Wanted by University of Michigan, they diagnosed ulcerative colitis. We moved my whole large intestine, didn't eat for four months, down to 72 pounds. Um, when I tried to recover, I could tell things weren't right. I was hanging out of people, hanging out the walls to get around. And so doctor after doctor, I was back at U of M, and the diagnosed me Friedrich's ataxia. Said, go live your life. We have no treatment or cure. So it was progressive. I went from walking. People thought I was wasted. Drunk, I wish I was, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, or the Did you really say that? You did. <laughs> I'm dying, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, wound up in a wheelchair, I lost my ability to walk. And then keep going. Keep going. Uh, and then um, just felt like. I was entering a season. I had no idea what was ahead. I quit work and wanted to start. You left us. I did. <laughs> I started a nonprofit called It Take Hope. Um, and that kind of took off. And I wanted to go around. I know my story is unique, but we all have suffering. We all have stuff in our life. And so I wanted to use the platform of being in a chair, dealing with FIA, having a service dog, and unbeknownst to me, four months later, diagnosed with terminal breast cancer. So this is, a, this is someone, when we talk about walking the road between sickness and healing, that's been walking this road for over two decades. Whether it's through Frederick's ataxia, whether that is now through terminal breast cancer. Uh, this, this topic of navigating the space between something, and especially the, the challenge there, Holly, of 
recognizing that you worship a God for whom nothing is impossible with the reality that what he's done for other people he hasn't chosen to do yet no. for you. And no. unless he does, the reality is as you end your prayers right now, your see you later God will be right. a little bit sooner than you would have signed yeah. up for. Can you share with us, how do you do that? How do you, how do you navigate that, that belief in a God for whom nothing is impossible with the reality that God hasn't chosen to do it for you? And how, do you, how have you made it possible for you to be such an inspiration to so many people and inspire faith when it seems unbelief is the easiest choice? Totally. All along, um, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because there are many times that I'm like, this is so cruel. I hate it. This is so lonely. Um, so in no way will I sit up here and go, okay, A, B, C, do this. One, two, three. As a counselor, I would love to take away people's pain. But that's not reality. Um, I often think of, I don't get what's happening to me, but I want to trust the one who does. Mm -hmm. And that looks ugly sometimes. It looks like just crying and diving in, probably swearing a bit. Um, it, it You're doing really well, dude. <laughs> Algorithm, customers, wow. It means being real with my pain, saying this absolutely stinks. Mm -hmm. And being vulnerable. Um, I think there is freedom and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, you can see mine, and so I always get a smile. Like, eh, you know, but a lot of people don't get that smile. When here in this room, if I sat next to people, the stories would be unbelievable. But my story is out there. You can see it. I put it out there. You know, but a lot of people aren't vulnerable because they can hide their pain. They can mask it. And they don't think God's that way. Mm. So that, that uh, reference you made, God, I believe, but help my unbelief is a reference to a father who's watching his disciples who've been given, you know, authority to heal every sickness and disease really struggle with, with, uh, with his child. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, if I can. And then he responds with this beautiful statement of what it's like to walk between faith and unbelief. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Folks, that's the road called doubt, right? And doubt leads us experientially to that moment where we need to make a choice. Worship God and live, curse God and die. And in the sense that dying isn't just dying at the end of life, that's dying in a moment where there is no hope and there is no life. Yeah, and holy why won't you be excited about it? Mm -hmm. Like, I sat on a terminal illness with FI. You die early with FI. But the reality of having terminal cancer, people understand cancer. People don't understand FI. Mm. So my healing might not be what we envision, what we want. 
I do need to tell a funny story about you. Oh, Lord, yeah, go on. <clears throat> um, you might have brought up Saw Group <laughs> or not. Uh, you got a good memory. Did I don't you know what you're going to say. me before I came out? Nope. Because I can hear nope. you. Nope. Um, so we were sitting in Spa Group. I was in Spa Group with Cry and Bubka, and I was part of clinical studies where you used to live. And we were really having positive experiences from the study to the point that people want me to dream what my life would be like. So I often heard questions like, okay, with LFA, what would you do? And it was so fun for me to think that. What would be, what would you do? And so in this small group, I said, do you remember? No idea. <laughs> I said, um, I would love to be on Broadway. I would love to move to New York and be on Broadway and play. And Craig goes, um, you won't have that pipe. They don't reverse age. <laughs> They'll just reverse. <laughs> I'm like, what are you saying? That? Yeah, I'm thank you, Holly. Yeah, I didn't say anything about making you young again. Yeah, There's that's right. <laughs> Um, that brings up a really great point. One of the things we talked about here was one of the things in a season like this is really focusing what's truly important. And obviously what wasn't right, important to you right. was me and our small group because you ditched us. Um, <laughs> we kind of understood. Um, <clears throat> but that was actually before the terminal cancer diagnosis. Thank just you. To You're say. Christian, be honest. Yes. Um, <laughs> so... What has become more important to you as a result of everything you've gone through? You've had to focus on what's important, right? What has become important? And what advice can you give to people who, who may be in that season and trying to work that out? Yeah, um, it doesn't sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but 20 years of living this way has made me look at life differently. Not saying I have all the answers, but realizing God is so big. And so I don't really sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, put into perspective, God's got this. Mm. The other part I talked about there was no escapism. Um, sometimes when people are confronted with a, a you know, terminal diagnosis or a sickness will often be tempted to underplay it. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember having a conversation one time with a, with a guy whose wife had been diagnosed with terminal cancer, mm -hmm. uh, but he was continuing to put off having a conversation with his daughters because mm -hmm. he didn't want to face the reality. And I remember going into a room there and just sitting down with him and saying, you have to tell them today. Yeah. Um, it, faith becomes more real um, in, in a right. season like this, or it should, and yet right. all too often, people don't deal with the reality of it. Holly, can you share with us, in, in what ways has your faith as a result of this become, I'm going to say more real, that may be a trite way of saying it, and less fluff? Right. Um, I'm not a fluffy person at no. all. I'm an open book. Some, 
would say that's bad, some would say that's good. Hopefully my good friends say it's fine. But um, I really use the statistics for dying are pretty clear, like we're all gonna die. Mm. So um, really I'm excited for it, like, so that's real. So fluff versus real. You know, like, oh, you don't have time to mess around. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, don't sweat the small stuff. Make your relationship with Christ real mm -hmm. and honest and true. Because I'm going to see him pretty soon. You've been following this entire uh, Space Between series um, with the online campus. And, yeah, uh, and I about fell off my chair. I think Steve Norman started it. Yeah. He, and I freaked out. I think I texted you and said, Cry, you must fall off my chair. It was so good. Which, it's kind of, when Holly says that, it's like, is that metaphorical? Or is she... Right, right. <laughs> Do I need to get over there? <laughs> There's another funny story I could tell you about oh, Holly in the postman, but I won't go there. Thank um, you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you followed that. And uh, this, has been, this has been really, really impactful to you. Just so take weird. a few moments here. What would, what would you share with everybody in this room about some of the lessons that you're learning about navigating this yeah. season that you're in? The first word that I can think of that people often talk about hating is patience. We're all waiting. Um, my weight is more evident, like not knowing the time, not knowing the day. But really, you don't know either. So we're all waiting, we're all waiting. And so I think, Holly, figure out what your life is like in that waiting, being patient. Um, oftentimes I hear, you're so courageous. The courageous part isn't living. This isn't my story, it's his story. The courageous part for people, for all of us, is believing that he loves us. He's not here to harm me. There's uh, a particular song that has become really important to you in this season that our team are going to sing in just a moment. And uh, it really talks about taking courage, waiting. Um, that in the wait we find the healing. Share why that song is, is mentioned. When I was diagnosed in January, I come from a pretty big family. All my sisters, I'm the youngest four. And they all have, okay, I had to point out, they said this microphone wouldn't pop because I said I couldn't stand it. And they said, but it won't pop. It's popping. <laughs> what am Alex? I doing wrong? <laughs> uh, don't worry. So anyways, um, I'm not Madonna by any means. Um, okay, I lost my train of thought. The song. Why is this song oh, so important to you? <laughs> I come from four girls, three of my sisters have kids. 
One of them is out in college in California. And so when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, she in January, she immediately sent me this song. And I literally got on my knees and just wept. Because I'm too honest. One thing I can't do is cry and hold on and one day I'll be able to do them right now. But if you listen to the words, you'll know like we're waiting. We are waiting in the end. We are all waiting. This world is broken, and all of us have aspects in our life where we are broken, and we need healing. And what this song does say is to all of us, look, take courage. Holly, you are an inspiration to me. It's been great over three years just having fun with you and uh, just walking this road with you. You're an inspiration to every person in here. And what Holly really wants is um, for you to listen to the words of this song and to be inspired. Yeah. It does take courage, and courage yeah. will give us the hope that we need. So as, as we uh, make our way off the stage here, do listen to this song, but won't you join me in just thanking Holly for being willing to share her story? Yeah. Love you.